Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's a weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Fulton. Today we're going to talk about cowpea in Africa. And cowpea is one of the most recent crops which is now being genetically engineered with specific resistance to one of the major pests of the region. And I'm joined by Modesta. Modesta Abugu is a graduate student here at University of Florida. How are you, Modesta? <laughs> Easy for me to say. How are you, Modesta? I'm fine, Kevin. Thanks for having me. This is really important that um, you're here because you are from Nigeria. Nigeria. Yeah. And so when you come from uh, Nigeria, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, we talk about cowpea, and this is something I wasn't even very familiar with, but what are we talking about when we mean cowpea? So cowpea is commonly referred to as beans in Nigeria. It's a very important crop. Like an average Nigerian family consumes cowpea because it's been recognized as a very important source of protein. Most of uh, people who cannot afford to f- buy meat, it's actually a reality that in some part of Africa, you see families that cannot afford to buy meat. So they, su- they use cowpea, they use the beans as a supplement uh, for meat. So it's always called the meat of the poor. So yeah, cowpea is a very important crop for us. And it means a lot that um, scientists are developing solutions, public sector scientists are developing solutions that will help to increase productivity for cowpea and also help the smallholder farmers um, and also improve the food security situation in Nigeria. And if you give me some idea about food security in Nigeria, what is the situation like right now in terms of, I know that it's, it really is an increasingly um, a vital economic power in Africa, um, primarily due to energy, I believe. But what is currently the situation with food security in Nigeria? So Nigeria is is still developing in terms of food security because we produce cowpea to be specific with cowpea we produce a lot of cowpea but at the same time it's not enough to feed the population so we also import from neighboring countries like cameroon and niger republic so at the moment we produce we are one of we actually one of the highest producers of cowpea we produce about 3. um 1 million tons, but then we consume about 3.4 million tons. So there is a deficit and there is a need to bridge that gap. And that is why um, it's important that innovation is coming to help solve some of these challenges with production. So we are not yet food secure. We still have a long way to go as per reducing importation and being uh, food uh, self-sufficient. And we really should talk about your work and your project. And so what are you working on here at the University of Florida? 
Yeah, I'm doing a very exciting project. I'm uh, working with Dr. Clay Harry. He's, uh, we are improving the flavor content in tomatoes. This means a lot because um, in Florida here, they've identified some tomato varieties that are doing well. The, the yield is very nice. The productivity is very good. And the quality, too, is very nice. But then the taste, the flavor is not as good as the consumers want. We are breeding for new tomato varieties that will have tastier, t- higher taste and good flavor. And, and is tomato a crop in Nigeria? Yeah, tomato is also the next best vegetable in Nigeria. It's used in close to 80% of our diet. We use it to make a delicacy called, like, every Sunday, every African family consumes um, this delicacy called tiu. So we you, we consume it. With, we use rice to eat the stew, and it's like it's like a like a an every Sunday meal. I mean, some other families consume it in other days, but we use tomato for a, a number of foods. That yeah, they are super delicious. So it's a very important crop vegetable for us in Nigeria too. Well, next time I have all the students over to my house, can you make this? Sure. Yeah, I'd be, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. So, what what is your long term goal? I know that you've uh, you've been very active with the Cornell Alliance for Science. You've done a lot of work with them in terms of heightening your communication skills and your abilities. What's your long term plan? So, um, for for some time now, I've been very active in the communication environment, and I've been exposed to a lot of controversies and, you know, bad information that is out there in the public about science, about uh, innovation and improving agriculture. So in the future, I would really love to be actively involved in disseminating more information and correcting some of this misinformation that is out there about how much innovative technologies can improve access to smallholder farmers. Because when you come to Africa, it's really a sad, a deplorable state, a deplorable situation, because you have farmers who toil day and night and yet nothing to show for it because they don't have access to innovative tools to improve technologies that can better their productivity. So in the future, in addition to developing tasty tomatoes, I would love to really delve into this communication um, environment and see how we can improve public understanding of science and its product. Now, I, th- I think you agree with me on this, that, you know, we, we look around and we see all the beautiful work that's being done worldwide here in Florida, but also, you know, even in Nigeria, you know, uh, excellent work by public sector scientists. But it's not the lack of innovation and it's not a lack of information, it's the way it's communicated to the public. And it's funny because we never would have guessed that the way we're going to feed more people more sustainably, ultimately, is just by talking about it. <laughs> and, and so it's really cool that you have a role in that. And how did the Cornell Alliance for Science really help you in those pursuits? So the Cornell Alliance for Science has really shaped my communication skills a lot because um, now we tend to understand that communicating science is not just about stating the facts, but connecting to humans, connecting to values, to emotions, and you know, looking at shared values. So if we want the public to understand science and what science can do for us, we also have to connect to what, those, what exactly that they care about as humans. So yeah, I've been really impacted by the training programs that Cornell does, and we are looking forward to the next um, set of uh, 
cohorts that will be in the fellowship in August this year. Yeah, it's really exciting because they they bring uh, fellows from all over the world, with um, with spe- especially in Africa, and they we try to learn how to improve. Um, access to innovation for smallholder farmers in the world. So I've really been very much impacted by their trainings. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. This is really nice to be able to do this. I hope we can do it again. At this point, let's go to Francis Onyakachi. And Francis Onyakachi is the program officer for the Maruka Kalpi Resistance Project in Western Africa. Welcome to the podcast, Francis. Thank you very much. And really, the first question is the most fundamental one. What is cowpea? Okay, cowpea is a leguminous plant. It grows in the drier, it's cultivated in the drier regions of um, Africa, especially West Africa and the Sahel. It's um, leguminous and very rich in protein. the grains are eaten by human beings, and the fodder is a very good source of um, animal feed. So it's a very important crop in Africa, particularly the western part of Africa and the Sahel. And it's a major source of dietary protein for millions of the people who live in this region. So it's a very important food crop for us in Africa. It's, um, it's, it's grown and consumed in almost every part of Africa, but it's more popular in Western Africa and the Sahel, of course, as well as Central Africa. In the Southern Africa, they use it more as, they use the leaves more as vegetable, but it's more highly utilized in Western and the Sahel. When we talk about these farmers that grow cowpea, are they majorly smallholder farmers or is there an industry? Okay, they, it's majorly grown by smallholder farmers in, in Africa. And much of large-scale farmers are not mainly into cowpea production. It's mainly, it's, it's mainly smallholders. But the trade volume is huge within the African uh, continent. Really, the next question is, is this something that smallholder farmers have just for their home uh, use or within their families? Or is this something that is used in communities? Or is this something that is exported? Yes, the the farmers grow for both reasons, for for their own consumption and as well as for, for, for sales. And then uh, it is it is exported within the West African region because mainly it is produced in the drier regions, um, but sold mainly in the in the southern parts of closer to the to the to the ocean to the to the sea. So it is um, it's also exported, but mainly to some European countries. Even though that Nigeria is seen as one of the major producers of cowpea in West Africa, there is still a deficit because they consume more than they produce. What are the production barriers that farmers face when growing this cowpea? Okay. 
like you rightly said, um, Nigeria particularly is seen to be the highest producer of kalpi in the world. And it's also the highest importer of kalpi. Nigeria actually imports from neighboring countries like uh, Burkina Faso, Niger, up to Mali. Nigeria imports from these uh, from these countries. Uh, you know, because kalpi it's um, it's uh, it's a leguminous plant and has the ability to fix nitrogen in the soil. The nutrient requirement is really not so much, but the major challenge it goes through is the insect pests attack. There are a lot of insects that that feast on kalpi at the production level and also even at post-harvest level. At the production level, the major insect pest is the Maruka vitrata, is, 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 is a pod borer. And that's what we have been working on. Beside the pod borer, there are other major pests, pests of uh, some economic importance, like the drips, like the aphid, like the pot sucking bug, but major uh, the, the the insect pest of most economic importance is the Maruka vitrata, which is a pod borer. And as a result of the devastating effects of this uh, pod borer, sometimes farmers can lose up to 80% of their yield because the insects they actually they attack the flower pods and they also eat up the flowers and they eat up the they they make holes on the pots and even attack the 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 seeds or the grains inside so the effect is is quite devastating to farmers and what farmers have resorted to you know before now is the use of chemical insecticides and farmers most of the times can spray up to 10 times within the production, within the vegetative period of their production. They spray continuous, uh, continuously because most of these uh, chemicals are contact. And because the insects bores into the boards, so the, the insects can actually hide after the effects of the, of the chemicals, they come out. So what I'm trying to say in effect is that the, chem the chemical insecticides don't give control, control, uh, don't control it, you know, 100%. Can you tell me more about the insect pest itself? Is it a moth or butterfly or beetle? Oh, it's a kind of butterfly. So it's the actual larval stage of this that's uh, invading the plant. Yeah, it's a borer. The larva is a borer. It's a lepidopteran. So it seems like a really great candidate for BT technology, something that's already been proven to be very effective against different types of lepidopter and larvae. We're speaking with Francis Onyakachi. He's the program officer for the Maruka Resistant Cowpea Project in West Africa. We'll be back with the Talking Biotech podcast in just a moment. If you've been reading on the internet lately, you know the question has been raised about how the Talking Biotech podcast is funded. I can see why. I mean, this would come up again and again. It's a high-quality, professionally produced podcast like this. It must depend 
on deep pockets from some major agricultural concern. I'm not sure they're getting your sarcasm on that. Well, I, I certainly can vouch for the fact that this is a volunteer effort. As the booth announcer for the Talking Biotech podcast, I get a lousy cup of coffee and I pick up the donuts from the box that Kevin doesn't want. That's it. But that's okay. This enterprise is not about making a buck. It's about sharing science. The podcast is 100% funded by Fulda personally. And no outside funding is considered. Go ahead. Try us. Send us a check for a million dollars and see if you don't get it right back. The real payment for the effort is the flood of kind words, the growing numbers of downloads, and the great questions that we get from listeners like you. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. And we're back in the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're speaking with Francis Onyakachi. He's the program officer for the Maruka Cowpea Resistance Project in West Africa. And we're also here with Modesta Abugu. Modesta is from Nigeria. And so this is a project that is near and dear to her house, her heart, <laughs> and her house probably too. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, the other question, Modesta, how important is cowpea, you know, to your family or to you? Cowpea is consumed by a lot of smallholder farmers. It's commonly referred to as the meat of the poor because a lot of families that cannot afford to buy meat in the markets resort to growing cowpea in their in their small farms and using it as a source of protein. So yeah, cowpea is very important for a lot of Afri- for a lot of families in Nigeria. And for my family personally, we eat it. My dad's my dad's favorite is beans is cowpea. So he likes to eat it every day. So anytime we cook rice or we cook yam without cowpea, he doesn't eat the food. So it's very <laughs> important for us. And have you seen this maruka? Uh, butterfly? Yes, I have seen it. Yeah, it's so it damages the pod of the bean. So like um, a, a cowpea pod that is supposed to produce, say, 10 to 15 gra- uh, seeds ends up producing less than two. And it really damages the pod a lot. It's it's a bad one. Okay, so let's go back to uh, Francis Onyakachi. You know, the question then is, what is the technology that has been proposed to help limit the problem of the Maruka butterfly. Yes, before the uh, uh, before the biotechnological approach was tried, um, scientists tried to screen all the cultivar of cowpea across the globe and did not find any resistance that is of breeding value. So that made made it necessary for the use of the biotechnological approach to solve this problem. So um, you might be aware that um, the CRI2AB gene um, from the Bacillus thuringiensis has been used, you know, in cotton and in maize to control similar kinds of insects, the Lepidiopteran. So that led us to try to use it also to control um, in cowpea and so we were able to get the technology from Monsanto and we tried to incorporate it into, into cowpea as a, as a protectant 
plant incorporated protectants. And so this, the transformation was successful. It was done in Australia at the Commonwealth Scientific Industrial Research Organization in uh, Canberra, Australia. So that's where the transformation was done. And then we did a few trials in Nigeria, in Burkina Faso, in Ghana, and in Malawi. And the field trials were successful. We were able to select lead events. And then we, the, after selecting the lead events, we had, we had to introduce into commercial varieties that farmers are well acquainted with. The essence of introducing into commercial varieties is to age adoption of, by farmers. So this was also successfully done. And the challenging part of the work is the regulatory aspect, because you know, it has to be, it, it, it was highly regulated, and before it goes to farmers, it has to be deregulated. So but successfully, we were able to generate the regulatory data regulatory data and we compiled the dossier and submitted uh, to the biosafety authority in nigeria the national biosafety management agency so usually when we create transgenic events so we create a plant in the laboratory that contains this new type of crop protection it's usually just put into one kind of cowpea and i would assume that uh, that this is a much more diverse category of, of plants. So in, in Africa or in, in Nigeria, are there different kinds of cowpeas that people find acceptable? And, and is there a, an effort to move this transgene into those as well? Yes. Um, uh, uh, somehow, every, all the varieties of cowpea are actually susceptible to these insects. You know, so the variety that were able to go to transformation is not a variety that is currently being planted susceptible to another type of uh, parasite, parasitic weed, striga. So that is the reason why, but it was, a, it, it was good that we, they, we were able to transform that variety. So we now use the conventional breeding to put it into different other varieties. Like uh, in Nigeria, we have successfully, you know, backcrossed into one variety. In Ghana, one. And in Burkina Faso, we've been able to put it into three varieties. But there are other varieties on the pipeline. The essence is to be able to put it into different varieties that, you know, farmers plant, that consumers like, so that you'll be able to make it accessible as much as as wider as possible. So that brings me to the next question on how has this product performed on trials? Oh, it, the performance, you know, was very great, especially, you know, comparing it with the conventional. And it was very clear what we did the first time we tried, you know, when you rely on natural infestation, sometimes natural infestations might not be very predictable. So what we did is to rear the insect and infest. When you infest both on the 
conventional and on the on the transformed one you you see the difference and the difference has consistently been between 20 to 80 percent on the average sometimes sometimes uh, you see 100 percent performance in the in the sense that at the point of harvest you might not get anything on the on the conventional and on the on the transgenic you get 100 percent yield so but to be on the conservative we have put a wide range of 20 to 20 to 80 percent yield increase you've been working with a lot of farmers on this trial so how have they been responding yes before prior to this time because it's regulated it's the trials were conducted in confinement. But at some point, because we need to also expose it to the farmers, we got permission to bring in farmers into the confined area to conduct the, to, to you know, test it by themselves. And so, we've, um, what we did in a particular location, we bring in six farmers. And then during the cultivation period, we bring in a number of other farmers who come in and view it, and then they, they rank it. We call it farmer-managed trial, but we bring a lot of farmers to you know, rank it together with um, the conventionals. And you, consistently, more farmers have, have always uh, preferred the, the transgenic helping uh, in um, and I, the, the lowest, you know, has been 55%. Between 55% and 64% had always preferred the, the transgenic cowpea. That is the uh, 55% to 65% of farmers who are exposed to it. One of the other problems that comes up with BT technology is resistance to the crop protection strategy. And so what is being done to ensure that this will be a durable trait and that you won't see resistance working around it? Okay, we have developed an insect resistance management plan. And at, in developing this plan, we took into consideration a lot of factors. Number one, we try to understand the biology of the pest itself, and we realized it's you know it's a it's a kind of a migratory pest. It migrates from the more humid areas where it is endemic to the drier regions. But happy is produced more in the drier regions, and we also observe that it doesn't go back. But just to to be in a nutshell. The, Mar the Maruka biology, the pest biology, understanding of the pest biology helped us to develop the insect resistance management plan. And then we also looked at a number of other issues. We did a, a kind of a baseline bioassay. And we also looked at the level of expression of the, of the, of the of the of the of the gene on the plant. So, putting all these things together, we developed an insect resistance management plan. 
But another thing we also did, we tried to see if there are alternative hosts where these uh, plants, where these insects go to in the dry season because they, they cannot survive on their own during when the coffee is not there. And we realize a number of alternative hosts exist. So our insect resistance management plan is based on a 50% refugium. But then this 50% refugium can actually come from the alternative hosts that are around the vicinity, not more than 400 meters away from the plant, from the crop, which is very, very visible. So we have a robust insect resistance management plan as a way to, to minimize the development of uh, resistance. And of course, when it is released to farmers, we're also putting up putting in place a system of monitoring where you know it will be monitored, resistance will be monitored, and we also have a robust system of incidence management so that whenever there's any incident, there's a reporting line, and then we'll be able to know what is happening, to be able to manage the resistance. But above all, this what we have done now is with a single gene. And we have another product on the pipeline that is based on another gene we want to use to stack it so that when this one is ready, we'll gradually phase a single gene uh, protect, protection out of the market and then use the double gene, which will really be more durable. So that's the, that's the approach to ensure that resistance is properly managed. There's been a lot of work done on this, on improving this crop, and you've talked about a lot of successes. What is now the current status towards release? Okay, now, you know, we talk about two types of release. For Nigeria, we've got the, the commercial release from the biosafety. That is the deregulation in Nigeria. We got it in, in January this year. And um, we plan to make submission in Ghana and Burkina Faso, as well as Malawi this year. Then in, in, the, in the Anglophone countries of uh, Africa, we also have another regulatory body that is called the National Variety Registration and Release Committee. So their work is pretty simple. Since the, the major hurdle has been crossed, they will just look at it, does it pass as a variety? And once it passes as a variety, then they approve it and farmers can begin to use it. And we've generated all the data that is needed for that purpose. And we intend to make a presentation for that in June because they meet twice a year, the first one in June and the second one in November. So we plan to get it um, approved as a variety before farmers can begin to plant it. But in the meantime, we're already multiplying the seeds, especially the breeder seed. And there's also another regulatory body in Nigeria and some of the countries in West Africa. Their responsibility is to 
ensure the quality and the purity of the seeds. So they certify the seeds. We have also, we're also working with those bodies to, and their role is just to make sure that the, the seeds are of good quality. So we are hoping that if we sell to the Variety Release Committee in Nigeria this year, by next year, 2020, the product will be in the hands of the farmers. Well, earlier in the discussion, you mentioned the word Monsanto, which sometimes makes people's uh, you know, flags go up. And how much are they involved in the project? And are they actually selling the seeds or are independent seed sellers selling? Or will, will it just be given away to farmers in Nigeria? Yeah, um, definitely. If you give it free to farmers, you'll be distorting the market and the, the market systems. So in, in Nigeria, Ghana, and Burkina Faso, as well as in Malawi, there are seed companies and there are seed laws. So the, comp with the plan is to hand it, to give it, um, sign contracts with seed companies who will mass produce it and sell it to farmers. It is actually royalty free because of course it's developed by uh, public sector funds through the through the US age. So but it will be given royalty free to the to the seed companies. But seed companies will be able to sell it, you know, following the market, you know, the, using the market price. So it will be sold to farmers. Are the seeds then going to be distributed strictly under a license, or is this the kind of technology that a small farmer could raise the seeds and just give them away? It will be under license. It will be under license, uh, especially given the stewardship requirements, which the African Agricultural Technology Foundation um, has to ensure. So, and everything will be, will be part of the license, so the sub-licensing given to the seed companies. So farmers will buy it, and then the training they will be trained on how to maintain the the, the stewardship requirements, such as the insect resistance management and other quality parameters. Overall, what would be the major economic and health benefits of planting this maruka-resistant cowpea for both the farmer and for Nigeria at large? Cowpea is a very important diet in Nigeria and the entire West Africa. It's, um, it's a major source of dietary protein. And because of the cost of production that is high due to these insects, of course, when you consider that farmers spend so much to buy the, to the chemical insecticides, and they spend so much of labor to also spray it. And of course, the drudgery that is also involved. And um, many of the farmers in, in Nigeria and the entire West Africa are not so much educated as to know how to apply um, spray, chemical sprays. So they expose themselves and which has some health implication on the farmers. So 
farmers are really embrace farmers are really very happy with it so it's going to impact on their health in the sense that many of the farmers who are who are exposed to the hazards of uh, agrochemicals the exposure the exposure rate will reduce that is one and then the cost of buying pesticides and spraying you know at a very short regular intervals the cost of buying chemicals will also reduce and they now if 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 the yield increase is between 20 to 80 percent then you can imagine what it is for farmers so that's 20 to 80 percent that is lost will be gained through this uh, product it's really intriguing work, and I can see tremendous benefit from this kind of thing. If people want to learn more about the Maruka Resistant Cowpea Project, where would they look? www.aatfafrica.org And let me verify that. It's aatf-africa.org. Yeah, that's great. And I hope people really do get excited about checking out more about this particular project. And thank you very much uh, to Francis Onyakachi. He's the program officer for the Maruka Cowpea Resistance Project in Western Africa. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Kevin. Yeah, it's, 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 it's been nice speaking with you guys. Yeah, and best wishes to you and your project. It's really exciting. And I hope that others who are out there listening are excited to learn more about it and share this particular story. This is an excellent example of how biotechnology can be used in ensuring food security. So talk about the BT cowpea. Talk about the good things that technology can do for people and our planet. I'm Kevin Folta, and thank you very much for listening to the podcast this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.